You're listening to Back to the Light with J.D. Rieger. Hey, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Back to the Light. I am J.D. Rieger. This week, I'm heading back to Memphis to join the Back to the Light team for three big shows, more on those at the break, and the official release of Jeremy Scott's new album, Bear Grease, on Back to the Light Records, Friday, January 28th. I'll be talking with Jeremy and his principal collaborator, Graham Burks, about the new record and more in just a few moments. But first, let's hear a track from Bear Grease. This song is actually a cover, and you'll hear about it later in the show. This is What Am I Talking About? If I could see myself like you see me (laughs) I'd throw myself off the ledge Oh, 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 oh,
All right, as I said, Bear Grease comes out Friday, January 28th on Back to the Light Records, vinyl and digital. You can get it at backtothelight.net. Here's my conversation with Jeremy Scott and Graham Burks. Jeremy, Graham, good to see you guys. Hey, good to see you. Yeah, what's up? So, Jeremy, after all this time, all the talk, all the preparation, you've got to be excited to finally have this record out this week. Yeah, man, it's kind of surreal, you know? I mean, considering that you see a lot of things where people are putting things out now and going, this is a pandemic record, and uh, this was not a pandemic record. This was done before the pandemic, so it's, uh, it's good to see it come out finally. And while we're on the subject of its release, I suppose we should talk about the release show this Friday at B-Side. Well, we could do that. It is Friday. Um, doors at 8, we're going to have Alicia Pop playing with us, which I'm real excited about because uh, they're a really good band. And uh, I think they, they've existed in various permutations, but the current version of the band is is really hot. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad that they could do this show with us. And you guys have both collaborated with Alicia at different times, right? That's true. Yeah. Uh, Alicia and I started playing together in Alicia Pop. I, you know, I, I'm kind of a multi-instrumentalist and I, I like what she does with Alicia Pop. She's got a little kitchen sink approach, a little bit of synthesizer and drum machines and drums and guitars and stuff. And so um, started jamming with her in that project. And then she was putting together a Sweet Knives tour and needed a synth player. And so that was a lot of fun for me to be sort of like the the synth player in a, in a touring band. I've always kind of noodled around with synthesizers in the studio, but uh, that was a great opportunity to go around the country with her and, and play with Sweet Knives. And I was a fresh flesh for a minute. Um, and the funny thing about that is that uh, we, I think it was a toy truck show where we were playing with fresh flesh. And uh, I was talking with Alicia maybe, or, or Noel Clark, who wrote for that band. And by the way, Noel is playing with us on, on Friday night. So it's kind of like a uh, old home week, but uh, they mentioned that their bass player was moving out of town after that gig. And I, I think I'd probably had a few beers in me and I was like, well, well, I could play bass with y'all if you'd have me. And then the next morning I wake up to uh, all these messages like, Oh, here's the songs. <laughs> here's the songs. And we're rehearsing on Wednesday or something like that. I'm like, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was just talking about this with my friend who's in shark teeth with um, Alicia uh, yesterday. And uh, he, you know, he, I think they sort of started jamming around with, with her new band shark teeth, her and her husband Severin. And, uh, and Jess was sort of surprised at how like quickly, like they were, you know, playing a goner fest after show and how serious he got. And that was my feedback to him was like, Alicia doesn't, like waste your no, time. No, like, it should mess like, around. <laughs> and the other funny thing is that Eric, who I replaced in Fresh Flesh, is in Shark Teeth as well. So it's it's totally. I'm looking for another word other than incestuous, but it's not coming to mind. <laughs> it's communal. There we go. That, I like that spin on that. It's communal. It's communal, fam. That's Memphis. Yeah. That's that's how that's kind of how like the three of us started making music together and doing things. It's just sort of that whole like Memphis incestuous. Yes, we have going on. Absolutely. And I want to get into that, actually. But first, before we do that, I do want to touch on a couple other things going on in your world. Jeremy, you've got to be disappointed. I heard the Raining Sound tour got canceled. 
Yeah, um, think, speaking of things going on, I guess that's the thing that's not going on. Um, we had a couple shows planned in February and, uh, and basically a, a pretty sizable U.S. tour in March that is now not happening. Um, my understanding as of the current moment uh, is that we're looking at rescheduling for later in the year, but there's nothing concrete at the moment. Um, it's a fluid situation, I guess you could say. I know that's a drag, but it's been a pretty great year for the band. Otherwise, the record came out. It was received well. Great reviews. Yeah. And you did the triumphant set at Gonerfest. So, I mean, overall, it's been pretty good. Yeah, that, that was that was an amazing set. That was one of my favorite shows, I think, that I've ever played was the Gonerfest. It was just a... Uh, it was just a wild, it's always a wild weekend with Garnerfest. It's always just a, a lot of fun. But um, uh, I was there really early for, because we did a sound check around 1030 in the morning. And then um, Lauren and I DJed uh, during the afternoon. So I was there that day, like 13 hours because we headlined that night. So uh, it, it was uh, it was a long time to spend in one place that, that isn't home. But uh, but it was it was a great weekend. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was there, had a great time, and enjoyed your yeah. set immensely. Thank you. Your other band, The Toy Trucks, also put out something this year, didn't they? Yes, we did a... Um, we, Last we year, did, I should say. It is. like a, Yeah, we recorded it about a year ago this time. Put it out in the spring, just an online-only EP uh, called You and Your Cistern. Sorry, Chris Bell. Um, and, the, and, the, and that was fun, and I think that we're going to be back into it uh it's just been hard to tell because uh a lot of my time was going to be tied up in raining sound stuff and now i'm not sure to what extent it will be but uh i'm sure we'll be back at it uh soon all right well let's get into this record we're hinting a second ago about how it sort of grew out of a thing that the three of us did together the low life leakers do you want to talk about that yeah the bowling green uh, the, the, the fake benefit for Bowling Green and the incident that happened there. I, um, my memory is sketchy. What was it? What was the genesis? Of I, I think this whole thing was, uh, you know, Chris Davis's brainchild. It was, it was, um, you know, his theater background. This was like definitely a combination of, of theater and, uh, political satire and rock and roll. Uh, it was, I, I, I don't know how I got myself roped into it. I think JD, you, you suggested me for the job. Um, yeah, I didn't want to play drums. That was basically what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm really glad it happened. It was such a silly project that, like, I think everybody involved in it felt like it spawned this, like, um, little era of, like, a little Memphis music family. You know, I think we were all, like, uh, uh, bouncing in and out of each other's projects for a couple of years after that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I got sure. a lot out of it. And and justice is in my band now because of that also. Yeah. So, yeah. See, yeah. It's it was just a good way to um, try to um, channel some frustration in, through a, a creative avenue. So um, I'm grateful to Chris for that, just because we were all able to do that, and then obviously some good things sprung out of that. So. Yeah, you know, um, Jeremy and I, I think, like clicked that uh, he and I had been aware of each other for a long, long time, yes. like, but our friendship didn't really get, you know, start happening until then. Um, I think like dating back to when I was in perfect vessels in 2011 or so, his, yeah. you know, he's been a DJ on Weevil for forever. And 
you were spinning our record a lot and we were mm-hmm. trying to set up shows. You might've been like in the subtractions back yeah. then. In and out of like several different things, probably at the time. And yeah, but like, I think when we got actually into this, you know, like little parody band situation and uh, we were the rhythm section, we, we wanted to keep doing more. And then JD, you were, there's a, a Bowling Green album that never saw the light of day. Um, we went over to Harry Kay's place and we started recording. Um, like, you know, we put so much work into this show and wanted to do something more with it. And so we were recording at Harry Kay's five and dime studio. And, and then like we were doing some follow-up overdubs at my place and Jeremy came over. And I think we were just like probably doing some overdubs on, on the Bowling Green stuff when it kind of like next thing, you know, we're making a record together. It just was like, I, I think, trying to put my mind back to where I was at the point. I think, I think it was probably a lull with toy trucks and I was writing this stuff that I didn't, I felt would be more acoustic based, which is generally how it turned out uh, with some exceptions on the record. But I kind of felt like, well, maybe there's another um, way to put this stuff across. So I think it was just kind of a case of like, Hey Graham, I got this song, which we did for the, for the makeshift comp you know, which was Fred Neal. So we went from there. Didn't you two also end up playing a couple of shows with Harlan T. Bobo as a rhythm section after? We did one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, That was a thrill for me because it was, uh, I think Harlan popped into the U.S. from France for, uh, he was working on an album, but I think he was also trying to play some gigs while he was coming in. And um, the idea was that uh, y'all were going to play the whole, too much love album, yes. which was like a classic for me. You know, it's like this album that that I knew inside and out and loved, and so like it was such a thrill to get to play the whole album, sort of start to finish at uh, DKDC one night. So it's 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 funny because Harlan comes back in from France periodically, you know, here and there, and most of the time when he comes in, uh, I don't necessarily know about it. Like I'll hear about it after he left. It's sort of like when you're sleeping and your significant other goes and raids the fridge in the middle of the night or something. (laughs) But, um, you know, but which is fine. But for some reason that time he reached out to me and said, Hey, I want to do this, but we need a drummer. And so I recommended Graham and it was kind of like giddy up. So uh, that was a fun night. I guess we should also mention that you have a pretty considerable history with Harlan. You played on all yeah. those records, right? Well, I played. Yeah, I played on the three, uh, the the first three that he did, the um, trilogy. Yeah, so um, he got my number from uh, Greg Cartwright, and he called me, and that's the first time I ever spoke to him because I just see him. I go to see Death Ray, um, you know. Uh, I guess now it's Viva American Death Ray Music, but I think they were just calling themselves Death Ray. And it's just like this really gaunt guy with a cowboy hat playing a Mustang bass. And uh, he just looked kind of scary and didn't really talk. So I was like, okay. So then he called me and he said, I've I've got this, um, I want to do this record. and I've got some demos. Can I drop it by? I've got it on a cassette. This is how long ago this was. He had a cassette. And I was like, okay, let me check it out. And um, he, uh, I, I thought, well, if it's anything like Death Ray, it'll be cool. So I put it on, and it's clearly nothing like Death Ray. But I think the second song on the tape was, uh, he was calling it something else at the time, but it became Left Your Door Unlocked. And uh, 
by the middle of that song, I decided, hell yeah, I'm going to do this with them. You know, this is really good stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I did too much love. And then, um, I'm your man was the second one and, and sucker was the third. And yeah, I'm on those records. Let's get into this record. You said you did Fred Neil Armstrong for the makeshift compilation. And at that point, did you guys just say, um, let's, let's make a whole record or did you know? Yeah, it was, it was a good collection. Uh, I didn't at that time. We felt like it was a good jumping off point. So I just kind of in the process, I kind of made a mental note. Yeah, let's continue. And, and um, Graham, uh, to his credit said, yeah, let's do it without knowing what he was completely getting into. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I just continued writing and, uh, I'd bring in like a song or two at a time. Uh, I did not demo any of the songs, which I think worked out really well. Cause then it felt organic. I wasn't tied to like, Hey, this needs to sound like this or that or the other thing. And we just work in these little bursts when we could. Graham, were you working in more of a producer role or uh, what What did you see your your part of this as? Well, you know, like since I was like 13 years old, I had like a little cassette four track and I've always been into home recording. I've always been into being the drummer in, a, in live bands, but then like on the side, like, you know, picking up the guitar that somebody left at my house and noodling around on a four track and making multi-track recordings. So, um, you know, my my personal recording process is like building a, a cake one layer at a time. And, um, I, you know, the loose opinions record that I just put out was made with that process, like laying down drums and laying down guitar and laying down backup vocals. And, um, so Jeremy kind of like brought his songs into my process and, you know, I, I like the result of it. I think, you know, Jeremy and I know each other from playing live together, but to, uh, to, to build these songs, you know, one layer at a time and think about like, what's the, what's the next ingredient that this song needs was a, was a fun process. And so I think we listed ourselves as co-producers. It was sort of like Jeremy songs and my um, sort of layer cake building and, and the end result is the album. So yeah, a good example of this is actually Fred Neal because uh, we went and we tracked it with me playing acoustic and Graham playing drums and I added guitars and bass. And then, uh, I think what happened is I left and then a couple of days later, Graham's like, I, I, hey, I added some stuff if it's okay. And I don't think he really told me what it was. Uh, he said, but here, listen to this. And then the um, in the first verse where the Mellotron comes in, right? And um, the first, so the first verse I listened to it and I said, hmm, yeah, I don't know. And then like the the second time it played, I was like, you know what? Yeah, exactly. That is what it needs. You know? So I was, so I was on board. It took a second, but I was on board and it was just like, Hey, let's tweak this a little bit as far as maybe where it is in the mix or something. But that idea to add that was all grams. And that kind of, I think that kind of makes the song really. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like laying a a snow globe kind of vibe over a Jeremy song was a bold choice. That did, that did occur to me. Yeah. (laughs) They they did it, you know, and it, it, it's kind of, you have light and shade, I think, with this record in general, but that's one of the things where it's kind of like a little bit more whimsical, where there are other songs and other moments in the album that are definitely not as whimsical. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. Well, obviously you guys locked in as a rhythm section with the Leakers and the Harlan Band after that, but yeah, why do you think you guys work so well together? What is ex- what is What are the qualities that complement each other? You want to speak to that or? 
Um, I, I think uh, being uh, coming from like the the rhythm side of things rather than like the lead side of things is has maybe where Jeremy and I find common ground. You yeah. know, locking in as a drummer and a bass player first. Um, I, I think that's that's one way that we clicked, and then it was fun to see like how we could uh, take that chemistry and make a whole record with it. Yeah. I, and I, I think also that we come from, you know, somewhat different perspectives and everything. Uh, I think having the polish to some of these songs where I may not have uh, had that, if it were just me uh, is very, is very helpful for sure. And I think there is something to that whole rhythm thing um, just because uh, we think similarly that way and that it's like how, what serves the song the best. You know, and then I could put a lead on something or whatever, and it would be, um, you know, just kind of considered more than anything, just kind of trying to think about that in advance. Because like anything I'll play on guitar that's cool is like, you know, I if it is cool, it's just a matter of uh, mapping things out in advance sometimes, whereas anything cool I play on bass is probably a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, I think we kind of just like have this, uh, both have this sort of like, we'll figure it out as we go attitude too. Yeah. It's just sort of like comes through in the music. I mean, you want to have as much good stuff to work with uh, on the basic tracks as you can, but you know. I think it's interesting that that you would say that, that Graham adds more polish to your sound. Um, I guess because uh, that was something that was said about the most recent Raining Sound thing too, that it was more polished than you guys were were. I guess used to previously. Is that yeah. a general direction that you think you're heading? I I don't know what I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow, let alone what direction I'm headed in. <laughs> um, I think that the polish on the Raining Sound record, since you mentioned that, is really kind of more of a result of Greg being a vet at this point and having worked with so many people from a songwriting and a recording slash production environment that he really knows what he wants. Um, he might, uh, he might ask for my thoughts on something or like a general direction question, but he's probably just humoring me <laughs> to be honest, but no, but there's certain things that I think we spoke last time we talked a little bit about this is that he, there's little things that he would have let slide and did let slide on the earlier rating sound records that he doesn't now or wouldn't. So I, I think a lot of that direction comes uh, from him as far as where, um, you know, what direction I'm headed in. I mean, I have stuff pretty much written for another toy trucks record and I'm developing stuff that, you know, because Graham and I, now we have a full band and we're looking at doing stuff with Mitchell and Noel and, uh, so I'm writing stuff right now for that, and that feels even different than this. You know, I imagine that would be more of a band, more of an interactive thing, probably. Uh, I'll add a little thought there, which is that you know, like we all grew up playing in rock and roll bands, four piece bands in a garage, and and you, you typically by the time you went to make a record, just kind of like turn on the recorder and and play your songs like you rehearse them. And and we made this record in a pretty different way. Think yeah. you know. Um, and and the world's changed, you know. Like you can you can dial up a Mellotron sound now if you want it. Yeah. <laughs> so we just kind of have access to tools now to make records. Jeremy has this sort of like encyclopedia knowledge of of music, and like you know we can we can reference like records things that we've heard on records from the seventies and, and create those sounds now. So I, I think you've got a little bit of that going on on the latest 
um, reigning sound record. And, and definitely we, we dove into those waters with this record. Yeah. Time out. Before we get back to Jeremy and Graham, please allow me to make you aware of three big Back to the Light shows coming up this week in Memphis. Thursday, January 27th at the High Tone Small Room, I'm playing with my band, that's J.D. Rieger and the Cold-Blooded Three, along with Old Pals, Glorious Abor, and Cryptic Mags. Friday, January 28th at B-Side is the release party for Jeremy Scott's Bear Grease. Jeremy will be playing with his band, The Drip Edges, and will be joined by friends of the show, Alicia Pop. And last but not least, Saturday, January 29th, Loose Opinions is at Growlers with Inner Wave and Huron John. That's Thursday, January 27th at the High Tone, Friday the 28th at B-Side, and Saturday the 29th at Growlers. For more information on these shows or to purchase the Jeremy Scott album Bear Grease, visit backtothelight.net. How did you guys approach putting together the band to perform this material that you just, you know, kind of made together? Well, I knew we needed a bass player and I knew I probably wasn't going to be playing bass uh, live as much as I would have dug that because, you know, I'm, I'm not cloned and uh, I don't, I, there's, and like my guitars are kind of all over it. So I was like, if I could find somebody to play bass and sing with us, cause we both sing. And, uh, and so having uh, become friendly with Mitchell Manley, that just seemed like a, uh, a natural thing to ask him to see if that at least we could try it. And he jumped in really aggressively with the harmonies and everything. And he's a real good bass player. So we did a couple shows like that and that felt really good. And then, um, it, it occurred to me one day, as far as another guitar player, that maybe I should ask Noel Clark and uh, and say he's on board now. And that's really helpful to me because I think a lot of these things really do need two guitars on them. And what's the name of the band? Um, I'd, I'm calling it, well, Jeremy and the, I, I want to eventually take my name out of it because I'm not, it's, it's a weird step for me even putting out an album with, with just my name on it. I just felt like that was like the ultimate act of hubris. Um, you've anticipated my next question. Yeah. Oh, did I? Oh, I'm on a roll, I guess I should quit while I'm behind. So yeah. Um, I just, I felt like the, the next thing we do would be kind of under name. So I just, one day it was like, well, I would just call it the drip edges, you know, after the fender amp. So, uh, so it's going to be like Jeremy and the drip edges. And then I eventually think it'll just be the drip edges. It's kind of the, the, what I'm thinking as, as I extricate myself from top billing. Why is it, do you think that you're uncomfortable as a solo act? I just always been a band guy, you know? Um, it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's just so weird because I just calling something, the Jeremy Scott band, just, I mean, hearing my own name is just weird enough. It's just, it sounds really cheesy. Like the Jeremy Scott band performing down the street at the Allen witch or something. It's just, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, it's, it's hard to answer that, but I guess I'm just kind of, I, I really enjoy writing songs and I, I don't mind making a fool of myself in a live setting. Lord knows I've got decades of experience with that, but for some reason, just that added step of like, like I'm not even, my face isn't even, it is on the cover, but it's not, it's on that label. It's kind of, it shows the the level of remove that I'm, I'm looking for here. I think. How did you choose the cover that's on the record? Uh, I, 
One, I don't know how I came across it, but it, it specifically modeled or was supposed to be after uh, this solo album uh, from Stephen Stills called Illegal Stills. If you Google that, that was basically the idea with the old kind of like apothecary label or, or artwork on the bottle. So I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, we had the photo session with Dan Ball and... Uh, and we took some pictures of us and then some solo pictures of me, which are so horrible that nobody's ever, I mean, that's like blackmail material. It's really bad, but that's not Dan's fault. That's mine for, you know, looking the way I do. But um, we had a, the, uh, the, we took several pictures of the mason jar with that label on it. And, uh, and we we found one, we did this at the lamplighter here in Midtown and, uh, and just put it on a ledge near that front window and, we, we went back, look, scrolling through all the pictures we took of this damn bottle, and we looked at that one, and Graham and I were, like, simultaneously, like, that's the album cover. Like, yeah. It, I it immediately knew. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's great stuff, but I actually meant the song. What am I talking about? Oh, the song. Oh, wait. The cover song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wake up pretty early in the afternoon to get one by me, huh? So, um no, I, oh. I, the lingo worked against us there. I, I totally get why that was confusing. Oh, well, you know, life is confusing. Great story, though. Yeah, hey, you know, uh, yeah, this is called value added, dude. So, um, so what am I talking about, which is the one cover song on the album, which was is written, was written by this guy uh, named Ken Queter, who is a folk legend in Philly and known practically no place else. But uh, always a fixture sort of from the 70s onward. And uh, that song is on an album of his called Man Overboard, which is a, a, a pretty genius record. Came out in like 88 or 89. And I had that on cassette, wore it out, and just always, always loved that song and the attitude on it. It's sort of like, um, it's... You know, they, they, there's like a little subset of like the best songs that the replacements never did. And to me, that's like one of them. Uh, and uh, I always thought like, man, why wasn't this song a hit? And that the reason for that is because in 1989, everybody was listening to like Paula Abdul. So, uh, so Ken probably didn't ever have a chance. So I figured I'd, I'd you know, try to do right by him and, and do this song. It just felt like... Uh, a natural thing to do because it's, it's something that me and a few other people would know. It's not like an obvious cover song, which, which makes it perfect. Didn't you tell me that you got in touch with them? I did. I, I, uh, I, one day I was kind of nervous about it. I was kind of like, you know, because he's friends with Dan Montgomery who lives here. And I used to play with Dan and Dan is from the Philly area also, uh, from South Jersey. And, uh, so I had chatted with him previously, I think. Uh, but I, one day I sent him a messenger thing and I said, hey, man, I did a cover of one of your songs. Do you want to hear it? And he was like, sure, bring it on. And so you send it and you don't know how he's going to react. And he came back and said, man, this is freaking great. You know, can I share it? And I'm like, uh, not just yet, but I'll give you the link. You know, I didn't want to I, I didn't want to come out with something like four months before the record was going to come out and have it be the one cover song on the record. But uh but I, I'm I'm really happy that he's enthused with what we did with it. Yeah, is he primed to share it next week or this oh, week? I, I should say I, I'm going to send another feeler out to him, uh, and I think that uh, um, 
I think he will share it. We'll see how it goes over with his fan base. You know, being from the Philly area, old school Philadelphians, they're, you know, a little hardcore, but uh, I'm bracing myself for whatever happens. I had you guys or our friend Marvin Stockwell, let's give credit where credit is due, booked you guys on TV last week. And the host asked you about the name of the record Bear Grease. And I thought your answer was kind of funny. What did I say? I think it seemed it seemed evasive. You just said uh, something to the effect of suffice it to say it's a reference to the lyrics or something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it could be whatever you want it to be. It's a song. It's a it. it, There's a reference like in that song World Brain, um, you know, it's which is a song. I think I've recognized and sometimes you don't really know what songs are about until you've written them and and they sit for a little bit and then you come back and go, Oh, that song was about this thing that happened to me or that song was about my ex or something like that. And, uh, and this song is kind of like being, uh, is a song about being neurodivergent, I think, you know, or it started off being a song about a gout attack I had. I know that's really sexy, but, uh, you know, the whole world brain said, I can't walk today. It's like I was having a problem with my ankle or something. And then, um, you know, just having like a voice on, you know, in your, in your brain going, Oh, just do this, take care, you know, just some kind of band aid on it, put some bear grease on it, whatever, which, you know, on it or, or drink it or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Just the idea that like, Hey, there's this, there's a thing you can do that really won't solve your problem, but it's a stopgap. Does that make sense? Kind of. Yeah, that would have been that would have been a lot of an answer for the channel five people and they would have cut me off. So I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you not cutting me off, you know, because, you know, do you think that you have an affinity for juxtaposing the dark, maybe borderlining on grotesque imagery with like really poppy music? It's in the Robin Hitchcock tradition, isn't it? It is indeed. You know, just uh where you kind of have a bright melody to it and then you're th- singing about insects or something. I'm not singing about insects, but I guess I, there is a song called Ask Pimple Love on the record. So yeah, I guess I, I see what you're talking about. Damn. Now I got to go out and buy a bunch of polka dotted shirts like he's got. Jen has some Robin Hitchcock brand polka dotted socks. Oh, wow. Hey, Robin, he's got a brand? He does. They have his signature on them. No shit. For real. Wow. Man, well, they tell you to, to diversify, and I guess that's the way he's doing it. Except I'm really I'm really disappointed that they don't have insects on them. <laughs> With lyrics, you know, like Kingdom of Love. You've been laying eggs under my under my skin or whatever, or chin. I can't remember. Yeah, he sh- he should have gone that direction. That's a missed opportunity. Yeah, Graham, I think the socks are, are a big seller these days. So we'll 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 talk off the air about designing those back to the light socks. We'll put that on your list. There we go. Yeah. See, it, it, it's it's funny because um, you know, raining sound last year we had as merch we we had a bunch of silk scarves made with our faces on them, which is <laughs> one of the one of the more bizarre pieces of uh, merch you'll ever see, but. I guess hosiery is the way to go. I didn't, I know I should get in touch with Greg and we can, we can, uh, we can go that route. The band I was in glossary, we used to sell baby onesies like they were just going out of style. I don't know if people were buying them ironically or if that many of our fans had babies, but see, you got to know your fan base. I mean, if they're popping them out, then they got to be clothed, right? I guess. 
That's great. And I mean, the, 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 you should add different sizes so that they can come back three months later and get another one. I guess you can throw it on a teddy bear or something if, if the kid, when, when the kid grows out of it. Right. You know, that, that way it's still around and, and the, the stuffed animal isn't going to change in size at all. So, Well, since we're talking about goofy stuff, let's talk about mm-hmm. the video that came out for the for the single Fred Neil Armstrong. You made that with JB from Aquarian Blood. Yes. Tell me about putting that together. Um yeah, I mean Goofy that qualifies. Um what we decided to do or I had the this idea of like uh um getting a dolphin mask and have somebody walking around town wearing a dolphin mask and and Laura my girlfriend really wanted to do it, which was great because I did not so uh so we got a dolphin mask online and uh we just uh she put on a leather jacket with the dolphin mask and we went around midtown and, and downtown and and filmed we went into the peabody and she marveled at the ducks with the dolphin mask on and people looked at us and uh we went to bass pro shop and we were all pretty confident we were going to be thrown out of of the pro shop uh but there were so many people and it was pretty it was pretty clear that nobody there gave an eighth of a shit what we were doing (laughs) so uh so we just tooled around and she pretended to get bait and you know it's just all completely ridiculous which is the sort of thing that i really dig is is ridiculous so uh and we just did one afternoon and uh and got what we needed and uh so that's kind of kind of the thing um what was JB like as a director? Did he really take charge of it or did he just kind of do what you guys told him to do? Well, we had a message and we were, we were messaging back and forth about it. And, uh, and I had an idea and he completely got my general idea. And then he came up with ideas as far as where to go and what Lauren should be doing. You know, I, I mean, I knew I wanted her walking around and stuff, but if it was like, Hey, like, let's go downtown, let's go to Bass Pro Shop. Let's have her do something here, you know, in the park. We we went into Goner and uh and Billups was like, you know, you want to do what now? <laughs> <laughs> but but it wound up being okay. It just we just took a few minutes and left and uh and whatnot. Uh so it, it was a real fun afternoon and we had really good weather for it too. I think my favorite setup was the dolphin struggling with dolphin lyrics and yes. Yeah, because we were in other lens doing that. And the idea was like that in that particular juncture, like because the song's kind of about the creative process and having a dolphin there writing E on a piece of paper. <laughs> so uh, I, I was pretty, I was, um, I, I wouldn't say it's a stroke of genius, but a stroke of inspiration is probably <laughs> what I'm looking for. The, the phraseology. Do you think we'll see the dolphin at the show? It's possible, man. I'll have to put feelers out and uh, and and see see if they're up to it. You know. Well, you wouldn't want to draw too much attention away from the show, so you've got to you've got to do it. You know, just right. Uh, I mean, it, it's fine. I look like a potato with an SG strapped on, so I don't <laughs> mind somebody else being the focal point. And we do have to compete with the Alicia Pop creep face. Yeah, their last few gigs. See, this is this is more value added. This is important stuff. Do you guys have anything special planned for the show? Like maybe doing the record in order or something like that? Not in the order. I think we're just still trying to relearn the songs because <laughs> it's been a minute. So I, I think I think if we kind of go through a full set, nobody gets hurt. I think that's that's 
that's something to put in the win column. You know, we talked about kind of like the the laid back vibe that I think comes from Jeremy and I working together. It's kind of like uh, we'll know that we have a show coming up and then a couple of weeks before the show, we're like, oh, we better start rehearsing. And, <laughs> um, and, and with COVID and everything, there's just been so much time goes by between shows that it kind of feels like we have to relearn everything every time. And so we've been slowly adding to our repertoire, trying to build out to the whole album. And we got one more to go, one more rehearsal. I think we're going to squeeze in that last song. And I think you'll get every song on the album. Do, the, do, you, the do you remember like years ago in this town where there'd be all these bands that were really cool, but nobody seemed to really rehearse? Remember that thing, that, that time frame? I, it's, it's been a few years, but that does ring something of a bell. But we need, we need to get together because these younger bands in this town, man, you know, some of them are pretty good and they do things like rehearse and stuff. So, I mean, you know, and they're also, I mean, I, I learned stuff from, from the younger folk and, and how they comport themselves and how they did do the, uh, cause I'm not really good at promoting myself, but I'll, I'll look at what other people are doing and go like, Hey, that's, that's pretty cool, you know? So then it's just a matter of getting, you know, unselfconscious about it and throwing yourself out there. They say you should be working from a position of like, you know, you shouldn't be completely comfortable, right? Isn't that what, what the, the really wise people say? So, oh yeah. If, if you're too comfortable, then you've lost an edge or something. <laughs> well, I'm about heading into a week where I'm going to be vaguely uncomfortable all the time. So that means I'm, it's probably good. It's personal growth. So as I enter my sixth decade, it's about damn time, man. Well, I think that's like what this whole back to the light ethos is all about, too, because the three of us are putting out sort of a trio of our own albums. And we've just like had to kind of look around and figure out how people are promoting albums these days, this time around and refining our old tricks and posting Instagram stories or whatever we got to do to get the word out. So it's been kind of fun relearning how to to get the word out. Yeah, hopefully by the time my record comes out, I'll be good at it. it it's a learning <laughs> process. It, it, it's, a, it's a continual learning process. It's sort of like life that way. Whoa, dude, that was heavy. <laughs> Is it getting heavy? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even, I'm completely sober too, man. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm not putting the hash in hashtag or anything. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, this has been really fun. I'm looking forward to the show this week and seeing you guys in person. And I know you're going to play something for me too. So let's uh, let's uh, let's hear some live music. All right. You want me to do that like right now? Now, smooth transition. Um, uh, no, I, I mean you guys can record it on your own unless you okay, want yeah. to do it on the okay. call. It'll probably okay. sound better if you do it on your own. But that we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, but but that said, I will, will edit it, it sound together. Like we just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will edit it in such a way to where it sounds seamless. We'll say, and now Jeremy and Graham. All right. Okay. Ready? Let's do it. Okay. Two. Grateful to 
just heard a live performance of the song Fred Neil Armstrong from the new Jeremy Scott LP Bear Grease, available in stores at backtothelight.net or anywhere you stream music, Friday, January 28th. And that's the show. Thank you to Jeremy and Graham. Thank you to Arthur with two H's for the opening theme. Thank you to Joey Pegram for the closing theme. Thank you for listening. For music, news, and episode archives, visit backtothelight.net. And until next time... Take care, y'all. Part of the Back to the Light podcast network at backtothelight.net.